This is Air Commander Starscream, and you are listening to Half Measures. Uh, Half Measures? Sounds like Megatron's battle strategy. <laughs> Kia ora and welcome to episode 143 of the Half Measures Podcast. I'm once again joined by my friend and co-host, Mr. Paul Kanawa. The big question's Paul. What's happening in this World Cup? Why can't you buy a beer? Why has Japan beat Germany? What's happening? Why has Japan beat Germany? That's because Germany, I reckon, oh no, I shouldn't ruin it because if I get this wrong, I'm going to look like a fool for all posterity. But let's just say Germany aren't maybe the outfit we expected and that is very satisfying. It's been a great week from a footballing point of view. It really has. And seeing Argentina also lose. Why can't you buy any beer? That's a subject that we shouldn't dive into because you won't shut me up. But long story short, having the World Cup held in Qatar brings around a number of issues around rights, around human choices, around all kinds of things, of which alcohol is just one. It's uh, funny. I think last week when you said to me, who's going to win? And I Instantly, it was like, oh my God, what, what countries play soccer? And I said, Brazil. And then I loved it when uh, there's a lot of fans of Brazil. Uh, even there's a few uh, algorithms being done. Brazil's looking like a top contender. This this smooth brain might know what's going on. I tell you, a little trip to the TAB wouldn't do you any harm. I, I honestly feel like, because we've yet to, at time of recording, we've yet to see Brazil in action. But uh, on paper, they, they still strike me as being right up there because... Oh, on the weekend just gone, where you and I actually saw each other in person as a as a rare event, I spoke to a number of people about yeah. this. I know it was a bit yuck seeing you in person, if I'm honest. Um, like, I, uh, one of the guys I was talking to was in agreement with me, like, oh, yeah, possibly Argentina. But, yeah, who knows now? Who knows? Who knows? Who knows? Look, all, you know all the good best sporting results come from octopuses or people that know nothing about sports. So... Let's see what happens. But that's probably enough of uh, enough of sports. This isn't a sports podcast. What have you been watching, Mr. Kanawa? Okay, here we go. 143 podcasts, Dan. And I have to admit, this is one I've been really looking forward to talk to you about because I've got a couple of things which I already know you're across. And, of course, we've got our Andor review. So, so let's go. First thing I want to talk about, Dan, is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Season 1 through to Season 11. And so this is this is a show we've been watching for uh, a number of months, ever since you brought it to the podcast, in fact. And and in the last few weeks, we've binged pretty hard, and we're now 100% up to date. We've watched all 11 seasons, as I say, going all the way back to season one that came out 22 years ago. And so we are now ready for season 12, which comes out next year. So if you're not familiar with Kirby Enthusiasm, uh, this is the life and times of Larry David, played by Larry David, and the predicaments he gets himself into with his friends and complete strangers. And of course, Larry David, if you're unaware, the creator of Seinfeld. This this show, Dan, this show is an all-time favorite of mine in terms of comedy. And I'm so grateful that you brought it up on this podcast because I've heard about it and I just didn't really know if it was ever going to be for me, but it really, really is. It is such a, a top quality show and I've kind of, you know, like I've watched this in a weird way. Like I, I've actually watched like current episodes and I went back in time and started from the beginning and then like I was dabbling with like current ones again and it 
like you can really pick up some of the themes and the and the long running jokes through it. But I've got I've got two questions for you, Paul. Eleven seasons is a pretty good effort, and so the next time you say to me, "I can't watch the Marvel movies. There's too many. <laughs> I'm not going to hear it." But you've just watched eleven seasons of Curb. My, that's not really a question. It's more of a statement. My my actual question for you is: How does this compare for you to a show like Seinfeld? Like, is it is it better? Is it the same? I, I I think it's different. But what what would you choose if you had to? Oh, if I had to choose, I'd still go Seinfeld because it's uh, that 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 there is something very classic about that, and of course, all of the characters together. Larry has characters around him as well, and some of them are fantastic, but I don't think any of them can quite compare. That's being said, this is definitely a top 10 comedy series of all time for me, which is a really hard list to get into. And it's a podcast that we probably should do one day because trying to choose your top 10 comedies would be hard. But I'll tell you now, Kirby Enthusiasm, if, if, if ever there was a show that I thought might have been made specifically for me, this would be as close as it gets. And what I mean by that is it's just how the little things in life really bug me. And quite often you and I, before we press record, we'll talk about how our week's gone. And we'll quite often bring up things that are just like the little things that have just annoyed us, you know, etiquette, social rules, rudeness, bad manners, accepted behavior, and seemingly inconsequential things that annoy us. But more often than not, we let it go. But Larry just doesn't. And I love that he doesn't let anything go. And he'd rather cause this huge public argument and a real big scene and everything that that entails than let a person get away with the fact that they haven't picked up their litter or or they haven't they haven't waited their turn in line or whatever it is they've done. And it's oh, it's, it's made for me, this show. I think you and I, Paul, uh, you know, the apple doesn't fall far from the tree in the sense that sometimes, you know, I think about a situation, I'm like, ah. I know this is going to happen. I guarantee that this person is going to do this and this is going to be the... Fl- and I feel like this is the Larry David way. Like, he's pre-mad about a situation that doesn't happen. Then when it happens, he gets madder and madder and madder. And sometimes it's a show that is sort of frustrating because you can see it all coming. But I think the way that the dark humour in this show, and it's just such a... It's almost cathartic watching this these scenes play out sometimes and just, you know, seeing what happens to, to Larry David. It's It's such a a great show it is a show i i sometimes feel like i can only do a few episodes of and i need to sort of like i'll, I'll save it for the next day because it yeah. it does feel quite intense but it's i'm with you it, it would easily be a top 10 for me and I, I haven't even seen every episode yeah one episode at a time i think you're right is is enough because it's 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 an awkward painfulness sometimes when you're watching it but that makes it funny um having it as you know they're less than half an hour a little palate cleanser the other night which is another reason why it's easy to watch as opposed to the seven thousand marvel movies it's um it's it's a real vibe and you just know before you press play that you're gonna no matter what you get gonna get it's gonna involve him being annoyed at someone and if there's one thing that i take great this sounds terrible but i take great satisfaction with someone else having to go through a painful situation and i get to watch it roll up because sometimes i've i've been through it myself and i haven't acted the way he has i came into this off the back of having watched all nine seasons of seinfeld and so that's i guess um one of the uh, that was the the other trigger as well for me and all of the cast of Seinfeld actually do make cameos at some point as we've talked about before and there is a bit of a, a cast reunion that goes over a few episodes um but yeah there's just there's just something about Larry that resonates too much and I remembered doing I think on Twitter or something one of those 
you know, you have to pick four films for you or four albums for you. And there was another one, which was what four characters make up your personality or something. And if you were to ask me right now, I feel like I would go with one part, Larry David, one part, George Costanza, one part, Dr. McCoy, and one part, one part, uh, June Osborne. That's, <laughs> that's, that's how closely I think I resonate with him. So this is, yeah, this is an absolute recommendation for me. I have so many questions, but um, I'm afraid to lift up this rock. But it's uh, those, those, those are good answers. The, the, the June Osborne one, which is the one that probably throws you. It's just like we talked about in the handmaids. It's just the the rage and the hate that she holds within her. I I really respect that, and I don't care what it says about me. I don't know if one human being could contain three of those characters. You <laughs> no. you would be relying on the Doctor McCoy to really kind of like bring a bit of chill to what's going on. <laughs> I think George Costanza would probably be the dominant character actually of the lot. But yeah, look if you if you like Seinfeld, if you like that kind of humor, if you I don't know, I'm trying to think of other shows. One Foot in the Grave. Um, Alf Garnet in Sickness and in Health, any show with an old guy that gets annoyed, it's definitely worth a look. And yeah, you've got all 11 seasons if you're in New Zealand are available to watch on Neon. Amazing. And I, there's talk of season 12 as well, isn't there? Yeah, that's what, yeah, season 12's coming. Yeah. So we're all ready for yeah, season yeah. 12. And yeah, it's really crazy because he's like, he's like 77 or whatever. But when he started this in 2000, he was only a few, he's only a few years older than I am now, and I look at him, and even then, I thought he looked like he was seventy. It's it's mm-hmm. a little bit scary, actually. Amazing, amazing to think someone could like bust out Seinfeld, and then you know another you know eleven plus seasons um, of another comedy show. It's unbelievable, right? So, so that's the first thing, Dan. The second thing I want to talk to you about, and I am quite excited to talk to you about, it, is the bear. Season one of The Bear, I'm presuming there's a second season coming. We'll get into that. You talked about this uh, a few podcasts back. And so this is a young chef from the fine dining world, from what appears to be the best restaurant in the world at the time, uh, returns to Chicago to run his family's sandwich shop. And I, I, I cannot believe how much this this series has affected me, has stuck with me, has just really resonated with me because I wasn't sure that it would. And I was I really didn't want to watch it and come out and be sitting to you on this podcast because I know that you like it too and be going, oh, it's not for me, Dan. I don't think I'm like, you know, I love it. The absolute chaos of it, it's it's just it reminded me of the kind of energy that we talked about with the movie uncut gems and mm. like the, and the stress levels of um of like a movie like bring out the dead with nicholas cage it just never lets up it's it's relentless and i was talking to someone from you know from my small council uh, about the bear and they said something that i thought was very true they said once you get once you got used to the chaos of that kitchen you eventually don't even notice it and it becomes normal and you accept that this is how things are and you just let it happen to you from there and then you can actually watch the show and so i wonder if actually a rewatch would actually be a really interesting experience thoroughly like i absolutely love the show even hearing you talk about it is making me want to watch it again like i talked about this in episode 133 so only 10 episodes ago mm. um you can use the handy uh 
review finder on the Half Meters website. You can find out exactly when we've reviewed different shows. Brilliant. Um, it, it is a it is a fantastic show. I I hope they do a season two. I would almost recommend if you love this show, you should maybe check out Shameless uh, as mm. a TV show on because it's it feels like it's got a, a similar like grit and hardness to it because it's also sort of set in Chicago and um, the the main character uh, Jeremy Allen White is is also a main character in Shameless and equally just as enjoyable equally gritting television show but yeah I just found it great I I found the stress great I found obviously like I'm not I've never really been a fan of cooking TV shows I don't even really like to cook to be honest but this show kind of just inspired me in so many different ways and it's I think it was just a real sleeper hit for me something I didn't expect to enjoy so much Mm. and came away absolutely loving I think it's it's super dark it's got some really grim moments in it but it's also got some really heartfelt moments and I think it's got kind of some almost wonderful kind of like surprise appearances by old mate John Bernthal Mm. uh Ebon Moss, um, Backratch from uh, Andor, like it's 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 got a great cast. Oh, it really does, and it's the combination of those cast members of those characters mm. in such a small, you know, such close proximity to each other within the confines of what is you know a pretty small kitchen that's so compelling to watch. And yeah, I mean, Ebon Moss Backrack uh, as as Richie, I mean. He was great in Punisher, and like you say, Andor, I mean, a small role there. We'll talk about that later. But wow, this for me, for what I've seen of him, is a role of a lifetime. Like, I, I, I couldn't stand his character, but I loved his character for being in the show and being in that kitchen and doing what he does because without him, the show would lose a lot of what makes it so, so great. And my favorite character, actually, and the story that I was most invested in uh, was, was Sydney. Um, and I just found her her story the the one yeah she was like the only sane one in the in the kitchen for me she, her trying to do a good job and take people with her on this journey that she was trying to do but coming up against some people that really were not on the journey that somehow felt very real to me and so when she quit and I don't blame her at all uh, I was gutted at that time. I think this is what's sort of great about this TV show is obviously um, both Sydney and Kami are, you know, top chefs and they've been, you know, been at world-class establishments, but trying to bring that energy and that mindset to a, a sandwich shop is just, it's so incredible and I think it kind of just, I think, shines a light on uh, like an industry and a, a sector I don't know a lot about and yeah. it was just so fascinating and I, I think there's some interesting little easter eggs in the show as well like do you know um, Neil from the TV show he was kind of helping with repair some things uh, played by Maddie Matheson uh, he's kind of had a moustache backwards hat yep, on yep, yep. yep. so he's actually a, a, a famous chef himself in real life and he's got like a whole That's range a of yeah, yeah, and so he's got a whole range of uh, cooking utensils and things that he sells, and I just love when you have characters like that who are actually experts in real life playing slightly different characters in the ecosystem of this uh, sandwich shop. I thought it was just really fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah. He was he was great. Great character. I mean, this is the thing. There was all of those those main guys and girls in the kitchen. They were all great characters that brought something so unique. I mean. As I say, Sydney for me, and I'm sorry, I'm going to butcher this, the pronunciation. Um, Io Itabiri, she she just brought a real 
um, innocence and, and spirit that I thought was great. Mm. And of course, Jeremy Allen White, of course, you know, as, as Carmen, as Carmi, he, he's just the, he's the, the, the conductor of this or he's holding this all together. And you find yourself empathizing with him so much as well. And, you know, there are some really strong themes in amongst all of this chaos of trying to make sandwiches and donuts and, and all the things. And when you think about, you know, how it is he's come to come into possession of the restaurant because of, you know, his, his brother Mikey taking his life. I mean, there's a lot of darkness in here as well. And those themes coming together and the, the, the journeys that people are going on. Um, there's, there's characters who, who are, you know, like um, Tina, who's, yeah, you. Re- I don't know about you, Dan. For me, I, I was just like, "Get out!" Like you, you're you're absolute scum. You know, you're just trying to sabotage other people. Like I, I really had a really strong reaction to her. But then, of course, as I understood her story, and maybe she's never actually been given any positive reinforcement for what she is she's doing, and suddenly she's getting that from Carmen, and she's getting that from Sydney. You know, she turns things around, and and you end up really liking her she starts standing up for things it's it's it does all kinds of wonderful things all in the space of a kitchen i think that season one is so powerful i almost like can season two even live up to the same the same hype and the same mystery and this could equally be great as just sort of a a one-off series that's kind of like exposed you into this world and kind of showcased a bunch of sort of different actors um, and actresses but equally at the same time i'm I'm here for more yeah oh definitely definitely here for more i mean just to give balance to the force i you know there's a there's a couple of things where i was like i'll be honest early into it and like in the first episode i was like oh my goodness what have i got myself into is this for me or you know you had to almost get through the shock of that but i, I was not i wasn't sure how realistic a couple of the scenes were where you could see that people were were happy to stay in in the shop in the restaurant or they were happy to stay queuing up to get inside when there was absolute extreme levels of chaos and shouting going on i was sort of would that really happen but then hey i haven't lived in downtown chicago so what do i know and the other thing that i sort of almost struggled with but it also made it really sort of thought provoking to watch was the like the patience of Sydney and and Kami around Richie, I was like, how can anyone have this, these levels of patience? I mean, I just don't know how people had that into them, but it, so I struggled to watch their patience. I just wanted them to explode at him, but it made it really interesting to see that they didn't react straight away with him. And of course, the calmer things got, the less Richie could cope. Richie was, he, he existed on that chaos and he, he lived for that chaos and that vibe. He came outside when there was trouble and he had a gun ready to go, but Sydney had solved the problem with giving the, the, the people leftover sandwiches and things. And it's, um, it's just so many layers of fascination there. I think you're right. I think the way this show starts maybe might put a few people off because I think it does kind of, it starts a little bit dark and a little bit weird and a little bit, oh, what, what are we in for here? But mm. I think for me, because it's only eight episodes, it, it just grew on me so quickly. Yeah. Any doubts I had were sort of quickly expelled. Um, I, I think this is why I say maybe check out Shameless because I think I think seeing that TV show and some of the, the hecticness of – um, Chicago and what's going on, um, and people like working class in America mm. and what that kind of looks like. It it felt very familiar to me. Um, 
and it's so different to what anything that we kind of experience here in New Zealand. So it's I, I, the big question for me, Paul, is is this a contender for your top 10? Oh, Dan, this is in the mix. That list, which, by the way, on a separate note, I'm happy to say I've whittled it down to 18. I was sitting at like 24 at one point, but I've had to make some tough calls. I'm now down to 18. But yeah, the bear is in amongst that that 18 so we'll find out in a few podcast time if it, if it made the list but yeah that's that's the level at which we're talking here which is you know forget about the emmys and the oscars the half measures top 10 tv show award is the one that everyone holds on to because this this is in there this i just thought this was i thought it was genuinely brilliant i thought it was a really original like emotional juggernaut of a show it got me thinking about you know how people treat each other in the workplace and the patience that some people are capable of and and the toll it takes on them and it's, you know and, and i guess what you were just sort of saying about you know the, the working class of downtown chicago it made me appreciate my own position of relative privilege to that you know and and your review got me intrigued and so that was the first step and then the chatter around my office started to build the hype and then a colleague it's actually a colleague at work who used to be a teacher no less who proclaimed the bear is the best show of 2022 Mm -hmm. so someone saying that that is that is the equivalent of like when a firefighter his hears the bell go off in the fire station they spring straight into action i heard the call i answered the call and as you would say dan i had a great time i think it's funny how we are obviously professional podcast you know correct correct professional movie reviewers 100 um but our word alone to each other doesn't carry enough weight. It's got, <laughs> it's got, it's got it. Yeah. Like you can plant the seed, but it's not enough. You need at least two to three additional recommendations to even consider watching it. E.g. Ozark. <laughs> Correct. It's not. It's not until a, an ex school teacher says this is the best that I actually take note. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. But yeah, look, I, I would, I would recommend this to anyone who can handle a chaotic show a chaotic workplace and if you like movies you know like uncut gems or if you like shows about food or if you work in it if you work in a kitchen environment i would say you have to watch this for that value alone mm-hmm. surely mm-hmm. no definitely this is a, a quality tv show um there's no two ways about it so yeah that's the bear available to watch on disney plus and i guess hulu if you're in the united states Good, good stuff. And is that you this week, Mr. Canella? Yeah, just the shared watches for me to come. So before we get there, Dan, what about yourself? I feel like I've talked for a long time this week. What have you been watching? Uh, all right, so I've only got one movie for you this week. Um, I've been I've been a busy boy. I've got uh, I'm trying to catch up on shared watches. Uh, I've got I've got all sorts going on. So today, Paul, I'm going to talk to you about a movie, and it's a movie that I was told to watch. Um, and go into it blind. So Ooh. my advice to anyone is if this is a movie that sparks any interest for you, I would say jump forward three three or four minutes in the podcast because I'm probably going to ruin some components of the story for you. Um, so what if, I want I, to, I, what if I want to watch it? Too bad. <laughs> you, you're not going to take my review anyway. So, That's correct. Um, 
irrelevant. So this is a movie. This is a, a movie theater watch uh, on a movie called Barbarian. And so this movie came out in 2022. Oh. You're giving me a face, Paul, like you know about this movie, or are you thinking of the Conan the Barbarian the, the movies? Conan, like, oh, here we mm. go. Okay, now I want to give you. I want to give you some premise, Paul. I don't want you to look up anything. I know you like to look at some pictures. So sit with me here. This is this is the premise of the movie. You've booked an Airbnb in a, in a town that you're not familiar with because you're going for a job interview. You get to the Airbnb and you've got the, you've got the details. You've got the lockbox code. You uh, open the lockbox. There's no key in the door. You're like, what the hell? You start, you sort of... Uh, Trying to try the door, can't get in. It's night time, so it's sort of a bit dark. And then you're going to like rattle the door, you try to ring the Airbnb host. No answer. Then the light comes on from inside the Airbnb, and you're like, what's oh. going on? And what happens, Paul? This, this is a double booking. They've both got the Airbnb booked, but there's a little bit, so, so there's a woman at the door, there's a man in the house, and there's a what's going on what's happening so he eventually says to her look it's cold it's dark outside come in um let's get this sorted we'll try to get hold of the host blah 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 this is sort of the, the premise of the movie and it's kind of like it's sort of i think at this point in the movie the genre of it is kind of thriller mystery a little bit of a dark comedy and you it kind of plays out like this movie of like is this is this guy behind it all has he set up this double double booking long story short um she ends up sort of staying the night in the in the airbnb they, they both end up staying there um she sleeps in the bedroom she wakes up hears some screaming her bedroom door's open he's having a dream um oh it's all kind of a bit spooky you're wondering what's going on Story plays out a little bit further, and I'm really getting deep into spoilers here. So if this movie is already sparking your interest, please jump forward. But for you, Paul, I I'm, feel like I I'm need to ruin ahead. it. I'm skipping ahead. Okay, are you happy for me to ruin it for you? Yeah, go, go, go. Okay, <clears throat> okay. So um, he's gone the next day because he had to go do something. She um, somehow like finds this. Uh, door and it leads down to like under the house and it turns out there's this deep 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 sort of like multi-layer kind of basement under the house and it turns out that there's sort of basically a, a serial killer that used to live there and he's been having like these inbred children there's all sorts of chaos going oh in there goodness. there's murders happening it's honestly paul one of the most hectic movies I've I've seen in a long time and it really sort of switches from sort of like thriller well it's still thriller but it really sort of goes into this it at times feels a little bit supernatural but not supernatural but this is probably one of the best horror movies I've seen in a very long time I had a really good time I think the best way to see this movie is knowing nothing about it and even if you're still interested with me yeah. uh, blabbing on about it it's still a good watch, but I think go into it, watch no trailers. Like you don't want to know any more than I've already said, but this is this is this is good. 
I love this. I, I love this because when you pick a good horror, you generally we've generally been quite aligned with. I think the horrors, you know, the, the, the Conjuring and 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 so on and so forth. So this is an intriguing one because um, even having heard what you said, it still has me thinking. It will still shock me to watch. Also, Bill, what's his name? Bill Skarsgård. Skarsgård. Um, yep. Pennywise. I've never, Pennywise. I've never put two and two together that he's Pennywise from both both it movies. Um, but beyond that, you know, I've never heard of this writer director Zach Kreger before. I've never heard of the main star Georgina Campbell before. Um, Justin Long, I think I've seen in a couple of things. But um, there's a lot of things here that are new. The story sounds really fresh. The reviews look good. You're obviously hyped about it, and I have kind of got a bit of a you know, when you get a bit of a taste for, you know, I, I often say I don't like horror movies, but that those Conjuring movies really did waken something in me. And I, I now feel like if I'm going to ever, if I'm going to ever eat steak, it's going to be the finest cut of meat ever. If I'm ever going to watch horror, it needs to be the scariest or the best. So you saying, oh, this is the best horror, that's got my attention. It, it genuinely has. And I can assure you, I will watch this at some point um, in the coming months. I fully encourage you to do so. I think it's it's also got like a real, like you've just mentioned a really tight cast. So it often feels like one of those movies. You know, we we love a good sort of like not many characters kind of feels confined in the space. This really does that, and I think there's some real great kind of just constant sort of twists and turns, even outside of the the main plot, which I probably largely ruined for a lot of people. <laughs> but did you know, Paul? Just Pennywise, uh, Bill Skarsgård, his dad is in Rogue One. Do you know that? Uh, Stellan. Yeah. Stellan Skarsgård. Oh, wow. No. I, it, oh, you mean Andor. 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 Sorry, sorry, sorry. Yes. Yeah, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. 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 That's, sorry, yeah, yeah, I was sorry. thinking, my goodness, this is going to ruin my end. I was thought we hadn't met this character before Andor. No, oh, I no, did, sorry. No, no, I sorry. did know that. Yeah. No, no, that's good. So, no, this, is a, this was a surprise, delight... Um, great scare factor. Please, please don't watch the trailer. Um, go in, have some fun. I can't wait for when you watch it, Paul. I can't wait to kind of dive deep on this one and, and talk about some of the the wacky things that happen. Amazing. Oh, great find. Great find. I'm excited. So um, that is me. Shall we uh, jump on over to... Andor, we've been we've been saving this bad boy up. We did a sort of a, a few episodes review early on. Now we've had the the whole of the first seasons has come out. What are we thinking? There's one thing I love to do is talk about Star Wars, and so not being able to talk to you about it, you know, since we sort of talked about the opening three, has been really hard because there's been so many things along the way. So I have really been looking forward to this. So this is the Star Wars Andor series, the prequel series to the movie Rogue One. Um, the synopsis here, in an era filled with danger, deception, and intrigue, Cassian Andor will embark on the path that is destined to turn him into a rebel hero. So, spoiler alert, if you haven't seen Rogue One, Cassian Andor is the guy that basically gets Jin, and together they go off and get the plans of the Death Star, which is necessary for the events of A New Hope to take place, which is kind of a big deal. Um, I I have a lot of things to say about this TV series, Dan, I feel like I need to let you go first because I'll, I tend to go into a bit of a ramble, so you go. 
Alright, so this is, I think first, first of all, if you're not watching Andor, get it together. You need to be watching this show. This this is top tier Star Wars TV. And there is not enough people watching this TV show. I do not want, um, I they've already started filming season two, so it's already mm. underway, but you know... Come on, guys. This is this is important. This is must-watch TV. And I actually think this could be the great time to jump in because this has been such a different Star Wars watch. This has been nothing like your Book of Boba Fett. Even your The Mandalorian, like, it's it's pitched at such a different level. The themes are so much darker. The storytelling is so much more complex. It's so much more kind of... It's made for an older audience. Mm. And... I think what's kind of been great about this first season is it's kind of had these like big chunks of stories that kind of play out over three or four episodes. And when I think about this whole season, so many things have happened um, across this across this whole season. It feels like we've kind of almost had like two or three seasons already just because of the, the major things that happened. I think I, I can appreciate your classic viewer might be looking for a little bit more out of each episode because sometimes you'll watch it and you'll think oh god we're just getting started i want so much more but i think as a total season this is this is magical ball this i think i hope pushes the star wars um tv genre in in more directions that we don't always have to have kind of the um you know like we, we even when i think about kenobi like it's it's good, but it's always sort of catering for sort of a young audience and making sure they can kind of bring on new people. There'll, there'll be moments of kind of adultness to it, but I think this has just has done something so different and so unexpectedly enjoyable. I agree with you on all camps, Dan. I, and I think actually in terms of how much we got, we got 12 episodes and each episode was a, a, a Good length, right? You know, you're getting always over 40 minutes. And I think that gives a great amount of time to really dive deep, which, as you say, this this series does. And I think when you say it's a good place for people to jump in, I also think it's a good place for people to jump in who are perhaps the type of people who, when they listen to this podcast and hear us talk about Star Wars, maybe tune out and think, oh, I'm not into Star Wars. I'm talking to you now, specifically anyone that's sort of, oh, it's not for me. Out of the 11 star wars movies and the four live action tv series that have aired so far this is the least star wars of them all and as you say it's it brings something so different and it's so refreshing because of it and so there's not a lightsaber in sight there's barely any space scenes there's zero space battles per se we saw hardly any stormtroopers until the end and yet it's great we don't need those things to tell a story in the Star Wars universe. And instead, from a, an empire perspective, what we get, we get this rich um, backstory. We get it, well, not backstory, what's the, like, behind the scenes, like the back office, you know? The back office people are the ones we're sort of seeing that we don't normally see in them. You know, they're, they're coming together for their daily stand-ups and their admin and their data analysis. And, and I'm just enjoying all of those things because because the lack of all those other star wars things means that when you do get something very star wars you know you really notice it so like when the when the when a tie fighter screams past you really notice that or when you do see a stormtrooper so it's 
this is the underground. This is the gritty. This is the dirty. This is, as you say, this is not for the kids. Um, this touches on some of the darkest material that I think Star Wars has done since probably The Last Jedi, which we'll be talking about in a few weeks, no doubt. It's, um, yeah, it's incredible. I think, too, it's you. It's good because, you know, they could have so easily thrown in a Darth Vader scene or, uh, you know, some real sort of, like, fan service moment, and none of it is fan service. This is about good storytelling, and it's – this is one of those shows that strengthens, like, if, if you are into the, 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 the deep web of Star Wars, it, it makes you really – come to appreciate and love characters like Mon Mothma who you know we just know so little about but now we know so much about it brings to life the um, the ISB which is basically like the uh, uh, military intelligence um, of the of the empire and it's it's all just so fascinating and I think what's great about this is the whole way the film is shot they've used like there's not a lot of uh, practical effects a lot mm. of it is is live sets and I think it really brings the the grittiness of the world to life and it really shows the impacts of what the empire is doing to to planets and kind of everyday people that's right through through the stories of of characters that like this is a, a this is an example of where often we say like did we did we need to know more about Boba Fett? Don't know the jury's still out. But you know, do we want to know a bit more about Cassian Andor? Hundred percent. Like this, this is an interesting character. It it is, but it's um, you made a really good good comment there about did we need to know about the backstory of of Boba Fett? Maybe not. It's kind of like you know, this is a guy. That, as I said at the start, you know, he helps Jen get the Death Star plans and then he dies on a beach. Do I need to know more backstory about this guy? The answer is probably no. But the reality is I, I'm wrong. I, I'm fully invested in this character. And and for that second season, that which is you know going to be the final season, which I hear is coming out late 2024, by the way, Dan. So having, you know, having said all that, I guess I had the same thing with The Mandalorian. When I first heard about The Mandalorian, I was like, great, a Star Wars TV series, I can't wait. But at the same time, I was like, I'm not that interested in a in a bounty hunter. But again, how wrong could I be? It's, it's as I've said a thousand times on this podcast, it's all about the writing. And the writing is what um, really works for me. I, I said it when we talked about the first three episodes, having Tony Gilroy at the helm, having a complete change away because we love Dave Filoni we love what him and, and John Favreau do but having something completely clean and go in a different direction with that sort of that born feel there's a real Blade Runner feel here I felt that was really really important and I think just to jump into story acts for me I think my favorite story arc of this whole first season was probably actually one that almost that you would never have seen coming was this whole prison story arc um, that went mm-hmm. over a good few episodes. I mean, it was really jolting at the time when he gets put in prison because we're following him on this journey and then all of a sudden he's getting handed this massive sentence. And it's very clear he's not getting out anytime soon and certainly not by himself. And so it's like, oh, so this is what we're doing now for a few episodes. And I found that arc absolutely fascinating in a, 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 a jail situation and a jailbreak situation in a Star Wars context. 
it's it's great. Not to mention Andy Serkis coming in with two oh. Star Wars roles. Standout performance. It, honestly, for a guy who's more famous as a motion capture voiceover actor, Andy Serkis should be getting some type of Emmy for his performance in the role in this prison. Absolutely sensational. I think too, you know, how I was saying before about, um, you know, do we need a show about Cassian Andor? One of the things that um, myself and Samara talked about on the first episode is, like, how invested are we in this character? Because we know that we know what happens in, in Rogue One. But I think what this show has also done is this isn't just a Cassian Andor TV show. No. I am absolutely, like, fascinated every time Mon Mothma is on screen. Genevieve O'Reilly smashing it. Um, Stalin Skarsgård as Luthen smashing it. I think um, Denise Go as, as the ISB agent, um, yep. Deidre Miro fascinating and not to mention that there's you know and you actually um, called this to my attention there is some real small and subtle fan service moments throughout the isb as well which Mm. are just so 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 great for the for the for the super nerds but also it doesn't matter for the casual watchers so they've kind of made this like an accessible tv show yeah oh the the, you, you said there's no sort of fan service there, but there is some in there buried deep. And you, you, I think the term super nerd is probably spot on because you, you you might not know what you're seeing. So we have a, for anyone who's wondering what we're talking about here, we have like a, a character called Wolf Ularen who makes his first appearance in live action since A New Hope. And of course, in A New Hope, he doesn't ever talk. He's just someone who sat at a table behind Vader and Tarkin and Actually, I think the actor who plays in Mossy is great. Looks nothing like him, and I felt like mm. they, they could have cast someone who looks much more like him. Given that our only link is a brief glimpse of him in 1977, but um, yeah, the those characters, the Mon Mothma story, there was elements whilst we're coming in on Mon Mothma, a little bit of criticism. Uh, I felt there was parts of her story that were tedious and tiresome and maybe didn't need to be told, but the overall story of Mon Mothma and Genevieve O'Reilly, absolutely brilliant. And just seeing the insights into that double life that she was leading. Same with Stellan Skarsgård as Luthan. He's an actor I always enjoy, and I imagine we'll be seeing more of him next season. And the other shout out I had was uh, Fiona Shaw as Andor's mother, who, yeah, just superb. And I guess we we kind of thought she might be given how good she was in Killing Eve, but they all just come together. And you're so right. The show's called Andor. The movie's called Solo. The series is called Obi-Wan. The other series is Boba Fett. But there's like there's so much more around that character that this story is actually about. I can already tell this is going to be a, a TV show that I could easily sit down and watch all 12 episodes again next year. And watch yeah. them back to back, and probably over three nights, and it's going to be a fantastic time. Then you know, even though we don't have season two yet, probably with a Rogue One chaser, what a what a time to be alive! Yeah. Oh, I think uh, I think um, season one with a Rogue One chaser in sort of mid to late twenty twenty four, ready for season two could be could be a really well time rewatch. I am. Um, I yeah. There's just so much here. The the look and feel is star wars but it is as you said it's it's grittier it's dirtier from a rebel view and yet from an empire view it's it's uh it's almost like a hospital grade clean sort of clinical mm-hmm. and it's horrible i mean we get to see people you know with with the isb which um the you touched on the imperial security 
Bureau. So those those white imperial uniforms have fascinated me since we saw Yularen sitting at the table in New Hope. And, you know, whilst we have had heaps about the ISB in novels and games like Battlefront 2 and the animated series Rebels and even mentions of it in Mandalorian, this is our first time we've probably had it in live action. And I think a lot of fans really enjoy that line of imperial intelligence you know the imperial leader as well padagats the actor who plays him such a good such a good cutting arrogant voice and of course as you mentioned ed romero the, the sort of our main isb agent i thought she was an interesting character and i'm really keen to see what's next for her because you know she's basically saved by what's his name cyril um in what was pretty much the final scene so i think there's a lot of things here with that character with Stellan Skarsgård's character, and of course with Andor, that they've set up nicely for season two. It it really is. It's and I think there's things that surprise me in this season as well. Like when we take this is the uh, like B two uh, EMO the droid in the as a as kind of an R two looking unit that he was actually you know talking and and you know obviously we have talking droids with uh, C three PO, but just uh, fascinating to. to to see how that worked and it actually it actually played out really well and at first I thought it might have been one of those concepts that could have gone either way but I'm here for, I'm here for B2. Yeah, no, I think in the end I came around as well. I I really really sort of started to like him and by the end you you could feel that emotion coming through. I mean, this is something that uh, Star Wars has done well since 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 the opening scene of the very first movie. Um Yeah. I do have a couple of little, not just even minor criticisms, but I like to do bring a bit of balance in. I, I'm not sure, and this may be on me, so I'm interested to see what you think, but maybe I didn't pay enough attention to the closeness of Andor and, uh, and Bix. And the reason I say it is because with the, with the, the finale, I didn't quite feel the intensity about Cassian going to rescue her as much as I should have. So either I wasn't paying attention or the prison story act just made me forget too much about what happened in the first few episodes because, because you know, because as you and Samara were talking about, you know, because we know the end game for there's never any danger with Cassian. We know that he's going to make it through the season, and we know he's going to lose it. Or he's going to die in Rogue One, but but the the the, the tension with Bix. I didn't feel it, and so even when he got to her and rescued her, I didn't feel as elated as I think I should have. Mm-hmm. I think you're right. I I feel like I could have taken or, or left that relationship. Um, it, and in fact, if we'd never seen Bix again, I yeah, I don't think it would have mattered too much for the story. That's right. Um, That's how I feel. And I yeah, I I I can't. Yeah, no, I I think it, I'm with you. That 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 could have been shifted. I'll tell you one thing that um, like you said, we're if we're gonna pick some flaws, which I was kind of I guess surprised at is the relationship between um, Cassian and and his mother. And I was surprised at how much, like, like how much effort went into her funeral because mm. I never really got a sense of how big her role was in that community and the fact that the whole town would rally around for her funeral and then she could deliver the most um, crystal clear force projection or, you know, that we've ever seen in the whole of Star Wars history and then <laughs> yes. sort of rouse this sort of rebel moment was both great, but I don't know whether it was earned. Yeah, there's definitely been a, a format change. They've gone from like a UHD Blu-ray and as they move forward to sort of New Hope, they move back to DVD because that projection was very much 
crystal clear. Um, I didn't get that either. I didn't. She seemed, I mean, <laughs> how do I say it? She seemed like the crazy lady that lived down the road and that most people would sort of say, oh, yeah, that's, that's Jill. She lives over there, but no one knows who she is. But everyone yeah. was treating her death like it, it was a really big deal. So obviously both of us missed or didn't pick up on how important she was to the the Ferex, to the community. And look, I think actually on that note, this finale, this final episode, I, I, I enjoyed it, but I don't think it was quite as brave or as bold as it could have been. And I felt like I wanted something a bit bigger from it. You know, uh, what's his name? Cassian <laughs> Andor. Yeah, he, he comes home, he doesn't get caught, and now he's off to join the rebels. And I guess... I guess we knew all those things would happen either or either now or next season. And so because there was no real surprise there, it's, I didn't, I wouldn't say it fell flat, but that combined with the fact that I didn't really care about Dix being rescued or not, there was a little bit something just missing from a finale for what was otherwise a series that I thought peaked in that sort of middle section of episodes. It's interesting though, because I've kind of, been on I've been thinking about this throughout the day and on one hand it kind of kept the same tension as the as the other episodes in Andor Mm. and kind of like followed a similar format and if anything it kind of rushed all of these characters to be on the same planet at the same time and that felt more kind of forced than than anything else um I think they could have taken maybe a few more a few more risks, like because mm. I, I think the way this episode played out, particularly with Cassian and, and not getting caught, I feel like a lot of these characters almost kind of had more real life moments where you're not always in a big epic um, space battle, you're not always in a lightsaber duel, you're not always in a, in a gunfight, and I wonder whether they played it a little bit sort of more more real to life but they've really because we know that there's going to be a time jump in the next season yeah and i want i wonder whether they're just kind of really trying to paint the picture of you know this is this is the spark that that ignites the rebellion and the this is this is the thing that gets everyone moving but i I think you're right like i i did maybe expect more than it offered though on reflection i i still had a very good time yeah oh like i I think everyone, I mean, I'm coming in with criticisms now, but it needs to be understood that these, this is still absolute quality. I think I, I'm just picking holes because it matters so much to me. The other big thing for me, and I can only hope that we find out in late 2024 a bit more, but we leave the prison and all of a sudden discover that Schmeagel himself cannot swim. <laughs> and that's the last we see of him. He, What's going on with him? Is, is he is he alive? Is he is he gone back to sort of try and help others? And I just felt like we might have had something because this character we went on a real journey with him. I know that's a really overused cliche of an expression, but we did. Mm-hmm. And I just I just I need to know what happens to him before this entire series rounds out. That's for sure. And it's funny that we need to know more what happened to him than yes. we do with Bix. Exactly. And so I think that, that that's sort of the interesting. Yeah. Yeah, that's yeah. the point, right? So um, so yeah, there's there's so much here that's um that's great just the the music at first i wasn't sure if the music was kind of right but i think by the end it feels really good it's got almost like a quality of it about like the first alien movie or i think the other one i talked about was black brave runner there was just there's something quite haunting in there that i think was was quite good for this series i like the way they use that theme in the funeral procession as well i thought that was um that was pretty clever um 
I think, um, yeah, overall, this is a series that, for me, Dan, gave me much, much more than I expected, as I said, in the same way The Mandalorian sort of did at first glance. And so, um, so yeah, so I think there's a lot in here for people who are Star Wars fans and, as I said, who maybe have never thought about Star Wars before because it is the most un-Star Wars movie, uh, sorry, TVC, the most un-Star Wars live action I've ever seen. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think this is this isn't all the guns TV show for me. It's yeah. it's definitely going to be a contender for top ten. Yeah. Um, it's it's just wonderful, and I I I do want more people to watch it because I think it's it is just doing something so different to what they may have previously sampled in the the Star Wars universe. So if you haven't seen it, definitely give it a go. Just just really interesting, Dan, because I'm picking up from you when you you said it a couple of times now. I just want more people to watch it. It's interesting because, you know, in my day job, when I talk to other people about other things they've watched, there's only one other person other than you who I know who has watched Andor. And yet most, a lot of others had watched Mandalorian and certainly a lot of them had watched the book of Boba Fett because of uh, the, the New Zealand connection. And, and, and yet people aren't tuning into Andor. And I'm, I'm curious as to why that is. Yeah, I wonder whether they're just a little bit... Um uh unsure like like are they unconfident of the star wars timeline are they just kind of not sure where this is placed is it the title that kind of puts them off mm. do they kind of come into it with that same attitude of i don't want to watch a movie about a, a character that dies i already know the outcome mm. um it, it's surprising and, uh, you know equally on top of that there's probably a little bit of uh star wars fatigue and i think you know not even just star wars fatigue but there is a there's a lot of streaming services now. You can only sort of choose so many. Yeah. Um, I, I wonder whether that's a few of the elements are kind of against the show, unfortunately. Yeah. No, I think you could be right. And I think, I think, I just think there's people out there who possibly don't know that they would enjoy this. And I'm trying to think of other, like I'm thinking for gamers, any of the gamers who may have played uh, the, the campaign mode on Battlefront 2, I think mm-hmm. you'll enjoy elements of this. And similarly, um if you've you know the the novelization inferno squad you know of battlefront 2 from an isb perspective if you're into that intelligence sort of side of things that we don't often see in star wars in terms of the empire the you know the the back office i think you're going to have a great time but um yeah it's out there it's disney plus and you've got you've got a lot of time before season two comes along yeah, yeah, no, definitely. And we had a, a post-credit scene, as I guess the other thing in this in the oh, show. Oh, yeah, no. See, I enjoyed this because it's not often. It's a real treat for me to be right about something every once in a while. I successfully guessed that those pieces that they were making at the prison are indeed for holding together the superstructure of the Death Star. And, I mean, that is a pretty good call by my standards to get it right down to the fact that it was on the exterior as well. I was, I was stoked with that. It's almost like you've played with Lego or something, like you kind of know how these things work. That's right. I, it's, I'm strong with the force in this regard. Indeed. So this is, this is Andor. It's, it's getting the thumbs up from us. I think you need to encourage your school teacher friend to watch this, Paul. Um, they need to get this alongside the beer. They need to be – we need more people talking about it. We're going to be here for more Star Wars content, here for more uh, Andor Season 2. But at this point, shall we jump on over to our movie of the week? Yeah, let's go there. So every week, Dan and I take it in turns to watch a movie. We announce what that movie will be a week in advance – 
on our uh, over in our Discord community, uh, which you can join if you'd like by clicking on the link in the show notes of this podcast. And this week, Dan, we have gone with Enola Holmes 2. Indeed. So we reviewed the original Enola Holmes way back when on the Half Measures podcast. So following on from that movie, now a detective for hire, Enola Holmes takes on her first official case to find the missing girl as the sparks of a dangerous conspiracy at night, a mystery that requires the help of friends and Sherlock himself to unravel. This is a, a movie you can watch on, on Netflix. You can watch both movies on Netflix. Stars uh, Millie Bobby Brown, who you may know from uh, Stranger Things. Also stars Henry Cavill, who you may know as Superman. You may know him from The Witcher. He plays Sherlock. This, uh, I remember we thoroughly enjoyed the first Enola Holmes movie. It's got a great level of humour. It's got some great fourth wall breaking scenes. I think they've kind of hit the sweet spot with this again, Paul, where I had just as much fun watching Enola Holmes 2 as I did watching the first one, and I kind of came into it thinking, can they do it again? And I think the answer is yes. Yeah, I entirely agree. I, in fact, I would actually say they've done the rare thing, to which sequels often fail to do, no matter how good they are, give or take Empire Strikes Back. It was, it was better. I, I, I actually thought I enjoyed it more. I seem to recall... Uh, you know, I was just like, really enjoying the film. I seem to feel like I had more fun with this one. It was a slightly faster pace, perhaps, but it's just, it's wonderful. Well, Millie Bobby Brown is such a talented young actress. It's, I mean, it's, it's, it's easy to forget that she's still quite new to all of this, as it feels like she's been around for ages, you know, as you say, because of Stranger Things. But for such a different role, I think she's absolutely superb in, in the Enola Holmes role. And I think she really convinces in in her performance and this wonderful way she has of you know as is as key to the the storytelling nature of this film and how she breaks the fourth wall she does it so naturally and so accomplished such a such a mature performance it's just it's just great I also think this movie does a great job of building on the first one, but yeah. also being accessible for anyone to jump into. Yeah. Um, like they they kind of give you enough backstory that I think anyone could watch it. But if you're here for more story, you it's there for the taking. It is, and and that's the thing. I know I love. I think this is why I'm quite excited about it because I feel like they're setting something up here because this this universe that's being set up here. You know, I, I just really really enjoy. It. You know, having you know, we're talking spoilers here. So we have to, but you know towards the end you know bringing in um watson having having anola mm. still having you know she's the main protagonist and having sherlock in the background is a dynamic that's different and it's a great way you know to tell the stories in and around baker street in a way we we haven't seen before i also really appreciate to you know a movie like this it could easily be kind of overshadowed with Henry Cavell and I think they just really stick to their guns and keep Millie at kind of the, the forefront of the story and every time even she shares the screen with um, Henry or even um, Helena Bonham Carter I think she's she's still able to shine and it still feels like her movie. Correct oh and I think that's really vital that they do that looking ahead to surely subsequent movies because that's the dynamic which makes it different and that's what that's what really intrigues me because you know you and I are both big fans of the Sherlock Holmes sort of franchise in general and I I I always love it when they try a different angle just like you know with elementary having it in the states and having having Joan Watson instead of John I think it's a clever way and this is this is a really 
good way because we get to see someone learning their craft and just getting better and better at how they do that and having you know having Sherlock there sometimes to rely on sometimes to go to for advice but quite often being a hindrance which if you really get deep into the Sherlock Holmes lore he often is and so she's she's equally the brains of the outfit in as much as he is and yet she seems to be holding it together more than Sherlock often does and that's across the board of many incarnations of Sherlock Mm-hmm. I also appreciate too that obviously this is the um, when is the sequel probably like the the late like eighteen something. Yeah, I, I think that's right. Yeah, yeah, and I I appreciate that they kind of like historically play it. You know how both are sexist and horrible working conditions mm-hmm. and the way people treat each other. They play that fairly kind of true to form, but by having the, the fourth wall breaking component, they're really able to sort of add a modern spin to it. Plus as well as, you know, obviously having um, Millie as kind of the, the leading lady in this, it, it, I think it, it really, I think makes it more fun and, um, kind of like, you know, like components of the story are actually based on real life events as well. So it's, it's educational as well. There you go. See, education too. And the, I say it so often, and I think I've even said it on this podcast, so I'll say it again, the writing, the stories are what make this. And the stories, so this is, you know, Nancy Springer, who's the you know, the author she who, who wrote the Enola Holmes mystery series. I think she needs a real shout out here because that's at the heart of what makes this work. You know, we could have this cast and it would go nowhere without a story because it would, with a with a home story it has to be really clever it has it can't be something that we can easily guess you know who done it it can't be predictable it, it has to be a cut above you know a regular cop show level of complexity or illusion or or trickery mm. if you know what i mean it, it's a homes movie i think this is uh this is good paul i i think that only if i was going to criticize it the only thing i would probably knock it down for may be a little bit too long yeah. I think, you know, yeah. two hours, nine minutes, let, let's keep it under two. I'm fine with the runtime, but within that, there was a couple of moments or a couple of side stories where maybe it drags a little bit. No big complaints, but I think if you were to take out the bits that I'm specifically thinking of, it would solve both my problem and your problem. But it's a minor complaint for me. Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's definitely nowhere near as... Uh, painful as some of the other movies we sometimes talk about on our movie oh, yeah, reviews for sure question for you dan if if they do a third movie which you would have to assume that they, they would because the, 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 these movies are trending well surely surely moriarty you know she has to now be the big bad villain playing and in sight in the next movie right i i would say so and i i think you would if you were going to do a third movie this might be kind of your your last chance of getting this core cast together because I think any more than three and you could almost imagine kind of like you know potentially Millie Bobby being replaced by somebody else like no longer having Henry Cavell like um and it kind of like you know spinning off into a police academy series of like unlimited <laughs> movies but I think to finish this off with a third one and a real a real big big bad I think would be a great way to go I'll see your three and I'll raise you one more. I reckon there's two there to be had and I reckon they film them back to back to, to, to sort of solve that problem that you've just sort of described there. But let's 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 hope we get at least one more. So what do you give this on the old guns of Kimbo? Yeah, I'm giving this a solid three guns. 
I, uh, yeah, three guns. I really, really, really enjoyed. I mean, to get all the guns, it's a big shout. Uh, I think I feel like of late I've been giving all the guns too often. So I'm going to, oh, look, I'm going to go three and a half. I've talked myself back up. Oh, oh, I think I'm going to go three. I, I think it's a, it's a solid movie. It, it, it's stronger than it deserves to be for a number two. Yeah. I think the cast is great. The storytelling's good. Um, it's not overly kind of doing that great on uh, IMDb at the moment, about a 6.8, which is, I think it deserves way higher than that. But Agreed. I think on the old half measure scale, three guns for me. Yeah. And it's actually, yeah, you're right. It's, uh, it's just trending slightly higher on IMDb than the first one as well. So if, if nothing else, it's trending up. But, um, yeah. But yeah, definitely worth checking out and yeah, available to watch on Netflix. All right, shall I take us on over to the news desk? Well, first of all, Dan, I have to ask you that oh, question. You're right. Because there's a lot of good quality in here. But what's your pick of the week this week from everything we've seen this week? Oh, it's so tough. I think I'm going to go with Barbarian purely for the shock factor and the, yep. and the wild time I had. Um, so different. A bit of a scaredy cat, so I don't normally do the horrors, but sometimes they just hit just right, and this one did that for me. What about you? Nice. Well, I'm going to go with Andor because, and again, it feels slightly unfair because, of course, that's a full series of you. But, uh, yeah, I just never expected it to grab me and get me so hooked in so much. It's It's been a highlight every every Wednesday for the last, you know, weekly for the last few months. And I'm really going to miss it, eh? So, yeah, it's, uh, Andor's my pick. It's a good chat, and I'm glad that one of us brought it up. So, yeah. Good one. All right, so uh, over on the news desk. So uh, let's start with condolences, as we always do. So uh, Jason David Frank, who was the original green and white um, ranger on the Mighty Morphin Power Rangers, has died at the age of 49. There's been a, an outpouring of love for him on the, the social media. So condolences to his friends and family. Indeed. I, I, <laughs> I, I was... I. I, I'm, I'm, and I think the face you're giving me is the same. I kind of miss the whole Mighty Morphin Power Rangers genre, but I do, I kind of, like, I know enough about what it is and was surprised by the news. Like 49, too young. Oh, 49 is, is, is way too young. But yeah, I, I definitely missed the boat with the whole power. I couldn't tell you anything about any names or anything, but yeah, horrible news. Mm-mm. Mm, indeed. Um, all right. So Bob Iger is going to return as Disney CEO in a surprising shakeup, replacing Bob Chapek, who is departing. So really interesting on the Disney front because obviously Bob Iger was the CEO. Mm. Uh, Bob's only been in play for two years. Uh, they've just announced some big $1.5 billion losses. Um whole bunch of sort of cuts and things happening over there so interesting to bring back um old mate see what's happening very interesting indeed i, I did not did not see that coming but at the same time there's also rumors so i guess it's not really news but you know of kathleen kennedy leaving lucasfilm either just before or just after the fifth indiana jones movie so there's a lot of changes mm. at the sort of the at the top tier level of management of the disney franchise Thank God we don't have those changes here at the Half Measures Podcast. It's a lot easier. 
We have a very a very tight uh, leadership team. Correct. Uh, what else? What else have I got here? So uh, we talked a little bit about um, Marvel's new Blade movie, which has had a few troubles over the, the last little while with both losing the director, but they have now found a new director, um, and it looks like uh, Yan uh, Demanje, who previously uh, directed the pilot of HBO's Lovecraft Country, might be coming into direct. I really loved Lovecraft Country. Sad that it only ever got one season, but I think this could really add a, a dark and unique twist to the Blade movie. I'm here for it. Nice. Yeah, I would be interested in that as well. Cool. And what else have we got here? So Quentin Tarantino has come out and he says he thinks Once Upon a Time in Hollywood is one of his best movies. I know you're a big fan, Paul. This is uh, this is great news. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm a, I am a big fan. I don't know if he's got it quite right. He obviously hasn't listened to our podcast where we you know, we spent a good hour talking about all of his movies, so maybe he should have given that a, a listen before he made his final call. But um, hey, indeed, so it's their what own. You do. He's also got a uh, an eight episode TV show um in the works, mm. which potentially we could be seeing more of next year. So that's I'm very excited for that. So I would love to see what he does on on the TV front. For sure. Uh, and then final two things for me. So Vikings Valhalla um, season two is coming in January. So we're getting that season two drop on the twelfth of January, twenty twenty three, which is going to be good times. I I enjoyed the first season, and I'm definitely going to be sticking around for season two. And final bit for me, The White Lotus, which we lo- we love season one, Paul. I, I actually haven't started season two yet because mm-hmm. I'm, I'm waiting for it all to drop. Has already been renewed for a third season over at HBO. Great news. I love it when they do that. It gives you so much more, I don't know what it is, just that peace of mind to know that something that you really enjoy, there's more of it to come. It's a great feeling. Blessed be the fruit. And that is the news desk from me. Anything on your end before we go to the mailbag? Um, we've got a new Doctor Who companion announced. Um, Ruby Sunday uh, is the the name of the character who we played by Millie Gibson, who is from Coronation Street. Couldn't tell you anything about her, but always always good to know that they got the casting going because you know we're not going to be far away before that Doctor Who starts to have you know start to get filming. And I am a big believer that it should always be a human companion because, of course, the Doctor is an alien. There are those out there in our Discord community who feel differently. Um, Come along, click on the show notes to join that chat if you have an opinion on it. Um, There's been some, talking of a Lucasfilm, there has been some photos from the Indiana Jones 5 movie drop, which, again, it gets me really excited because I really have such high hopes for indiana jones and i did with the fourth movie and i'm one of the few people that still says that was a really good movie i know a lot of people had a lot of issues with it so i'm i've got high hopes for the fifth one um but the thing that caught my eye the most this week is um you know who knows maybe this has been done before i'm sure it has but there's a new series dropping on netflix um called kaleidoscope um starring our old mate Giancarlo Esposito and it's one of those series where they've done something different a bit groundbreaking you can watch these episodes in any order and the plot for the scheme of this of this series should still apparently Dan make sense no matter which order that is both mind-blowing and I I feel like I'm going to mess it up somehow I feel like if there's a way to break it 
I'm breaking it. Yeah, I feel like I'm because I'm always risk adverse. I feel like whatever whatever order they've put it in, I'll just watch it in that order probably because mm-hmm. thinking oh, it's probably safer. But um, who knows? It's um, it kind of you know just talking about Quentin Tarantino. It kind of reminds me of if you think about the flow of Pulp Fiction and how things jump around and you sort of things see things happen and characters have died and then you see the past that kind of works so in my mind i'm thinking it's definitely possible but hey we'll find out that drops it's, in it's an year. interesting concept day eh? like i feel like i almost would like to know this is this this is the first episode and this is the last episode but feel free to jumble up the six episodes in the middle like that i, I feel like i want a clear a clear a clear bookings i feel like we won't get that but um but yeah um something new and again just slightly different to look forward to um i'll take us across to uh mailbag a couple of things in here um firstly dan um i want to talk to you uh about something that jacinta from lower hut aka the hizzard uh now just quickly she actually watched the bear off the strength of your review a few weeks ago so that's that's true friend that's 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 good someone paid attention to your review and that was enough to get them to watch so appreciate that she has requested us to do a a peak performance and she'd like to do a peak performance for stanley tucci as she absolutely loves him as as the dad in eza and also in the devil wears prada and so I think let's let's just do it. Let's lock Stanley Tucci in for next week's podcast as peak performance. That sounds good, and I look forward to seeing uh, Jacinta's Patreon subscription come through. <laughs> Indeed. Um, what else have I got here? Um, uh, the, so the writer director of the movie Fall, uh, Scott Mann, that you reviewed uh, last week. He mm. he shared our review uh, of um, our post on Twitter, which was which was awesome. Love getting the writer directors involved um uh last week uh i talked about uh, someone who had been badly i thought cast in, in in something and and wendy and wellington followed up on that point and thinks that we should do a podcast about people that have been badly miscast and she's come up with an example for us already which i can't comment on because i haven't seen it yet but um Dominic West, uh, he who I talked about just last week with Danton Abbey and you and you here, she's seen The Crown, the latest season where he plays Prince Charles and says it's no good. He cannot play Prince Charles. Um, you know, he's always going to be that guy from The Wire, Jim McNulty, Jimmy McNulty, is it? Um, so yeah, interesting, interesting idea for a podcast. People who've been miscast. I've, I've been racking my brain to think of a few. Mm-hmm. I'm sure there's some goodies out there. Yeah. Uh, finally, Dan, uh, peak performance last week was Guy Pierce, and we had a few suggestions as always. We had Sarah from Porirua, who went with his role in the Jack Irish series and movies. Um, I didn't realize this was a series, let alone a movie as well. Um, but yeah, there's a role Jack Irish. So some, if you're a Guy Pierce fan, it could be one to to check out. Uh, Diana from Capity Coast. She went with Memento. Uh, we had uh, Michael from Charlotte, USA. He went with a 321 of The Time Machine. And uh, number two was The Mayor of Easttown. Number one was also Memento. 
And Paddy from Time Traveling Team Podcast gave us 321 as well. Count of Monte Cristo, Lawless, and Peak Performance was also Memento. And that is our mailbag this week, Dan. Very, very good shouts. Speaking of uh, people named Guy, shall we uh, jump on over to our Peak Performance for this week? Yes, indeed. So like our movie of the week, we take it in turns to look back at the careers of someone from the movie TV world and yeah, from one guy to another. This time we're going to the director's chair for Guy Ritchie. Yeah, this is uh this is this is a tough one. There, there's a lot of great strong uh candidates in here. And I'm gonna be really intrigued to see what comes in through the mailbag to see where the kind of the mm. ratings fall. Mm. But for me, this week, Paul, I'm gonna go for honorable mention. I'm gonna go for Snatch, and it was a it was a real tough call between Snatch and Lockstock, but I just can't get over that there's so many great kind of like cameos and moments in Snatch that even just thinking about this movie kind of gets me kind of wanting to sort of break down in fits of laughter, particularly Brad Pitt's character. Yes. But so, so good. And so good to see Jason Statham back in and Stephen Graham. It's, it's, it's good. So this gets the honorable mention, but I'm going to go for peak, peak performance. I'm actually going to go for the gentleman and it's probably a little bit of recency bias, but I, this, this was a movie I kind of came into thinking, ah, this is probably going to be okay. And just one of my one of my favourite movies mm. uh, of of twenty nineteen, uh, and just such a great cast, so funny, classic Guy Ritchie, couldn't get enough of it. So it, it, in the end, turned out to be easy picks. Snatch from two thousand and twenty nineteen's The Gentleman. How about yourself? I really love that you've got the gentleman in there because it is fantastic. It didn't quite make mine, and so I'm really glad you had it in there because I remember in twenty nineteen, you and I at that point actually were were working for the same organization and i remember there was a brief period of time where the gentleman was you know real top of mind and we were talking to each other in that gentleman style you know the salt and pepper on the table you remember all that Mm, mm. it's good times uh so for me honorable mention is actually 2008's rock and roller this good chap this is i think it's an underrated movie I, i feel like not many people can talk to me about it um and you know, Jared Butler, Tom Hardy, Thandy Wayne Newton, Idris Elba. I I feel like I feel like it's a very rewatchable Guy Ritchie movie as well. I mean, it has all the things you'd expect, the directing style, the humour, it, it's brutal, but the story's just so good and so clever. And they've really at the end, that anyone who's watched it may record the end credits, they sort of they advertise in almost in like a James Bond or return manner that there's another rock and roller movie coming. And of course it's never come to fruition because it never quite made it. And it's a real shame for me, but yeah, honorable mention goes to rock and roller, but my peak performance, I actually can't go past snatch 2002 for me, pinnacle of everything he's done so far. And, you know, just like talking about Kirby enthusiasm at the top of the podcast, I can't believe it's 20 years old. This, you know, as you said, the the cameos, the Brad Pitt character, hilarious. One of my f- top ten characters of all time, however, is Bricktop, played by Alan Ford. Bricktop is probably what sends this movie to the top for me because I feel like he's the inspiration for why I wear the glasses that I do. And once my hair goes grey, I'm halfway there. He loves a cup of tea. The dialogue is sharp. It's funny. It, it, 
for me, it's just a cut above the rest. And I can't honestly give you anything that I can point to beyond some of those characters like Bricktop that just lifted above because so much of what Guy Ritchie does is amazing. So yeah, rock and roller and snatch for me then. Great, great choices. I feel like it's been, I've only ever seen rock and roller once and I remember having a good time watching it, but mm. maybe I need to get another watch in. It's been, it's been far too long. Oh, 100%. Well, Paul, that probably brings us to the end of uh, another episode of the Half Measures podcast. It does indeed. Thanks, as always, for listening in. And as Dan says, let us know your peak performance for Guy Ritchie. We'll be interested to see, because there's some big movies there that haven't made it. We'll be interested to see what you've got there. Or if you've got a peak performance you'd like us to do, as Jacinta has, get in touch, halfmeasurespodcast.com or on our social media. Also, a very special shout-out to our Patreon producers, Samara Whiting-King, Diana Kanawa, and Michael Chalmers. If you too would like to become a patron of the show, then you can find those details in the show notes below. But until next week, everyone, adios.